from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. On June 12th, 2015, Cry Havoc presented an evening of new plays commissioned by Lincoln Center to be performed in the David Rubenstein Atrium for the Lincoln Center Originals series. This episode is an audio recording of the live event, including both the plays and a discussion with the playwrights about their process. If you're interested in seeing photos from the event, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org slash Lincoln Center Originals. Though, please be warned, there are some spoilers for the plays and the photos. Cry Havoc was joined that evening by special musical guest The Silver State, who you will hear play between the shows. Because the microphones, but not the instruments, were recorded, the sound of the vocals are more prominent in the songs than the instruments. We encourage you to hear the songs as they were originally intended by visiting www.thesilverstatemusic.com, iTunes, or Spotify. You will also hear me every once in a while interject with the stage direction to alert you of important physical actions that cannot be heard on the recording. And now, to introduce the evening, Lincoln Center President Jed Bernstein. Good evening, everybody. I'm uh, Jed Bernstein, the president of Lincoln Center. Who knew? Thank you. Who knew that this job came with a band? How cool is that? Give it up for the Silver State. Uh, so we want to welcome you guys to another uh, episode of Lincoln Center Originals. This is a new series uh, here at the Atrium that's being curated by the unbelievably cool Lonnie Price and Mr. Matt Cowart. And the objective of Lincoln Center Originals is to create programming that uh, reflects Lincoln Center, that is inspired some way in Lincoln Center. We've had dances inspired by Lincoln Center. We've had songs inspired by Lincoln Center. We've had interviews with uh, Masters on Masters, people who have worked at Lincoln Center. And tonight we have plays inspired by Lincoln Center. And for that, we are happy and proud and thrilled to welcome the Cry Havoc Theater Company. Uh, Cry Havoc is uh, 18 years old. They have performed all over the United States, in fact, all over the world. They claim they have played on seven continents. Now, I, either they are miscounting or there is a theater in Antarctica that I don't know about, but perhaps it is true. Uh, the plays you will see tonight are a result of the following assignment. All the plays had to be set here in the David Rubenstein uh, atrium. So that is the common thread tonight. We will discuss the other parts of your homework after you see the plays. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cry Havoc and the Silver State. We pulled over on the 95 Out beyond the lights of the city under that moonless desert sky I stood there shrinking in its infinity 
watched a meteor shower from the parking lot of an AMPM. We had a zine show on our way up to Reno, and a moment before that felt like such a big deal. Hey, hey, you, Jarvis. It's called airplane mode. Yo. Come on, come on. Jarvis, what? we are doing this now. Doing what? Ending the trip. Okay. I'm calling it June 12th. Time of death, 7.30 something p.m. Rotate. Jarvis. Swivel. Do a 180 and go far away Hold from on. me. Hold on. All right, we don't have to do this right now. Yes, we do. I'm sure that Cedric has not played yet. Let's just go back in there. It's too late. No, it's not. They'll just think we went to the bathroom or something. Who cares? Who cares what they think? You do. You stormed out and you left your phone on. We, we walked into a Juilliard concert late. Looking like this. And instead of hearing Brahms, Canning, and Shostakovich, we were subjected to three cycles of your dumbass ringtone. It's not dumbass. Get Stop. Calm down. I want to end it. Okay, 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 just hold on. Let's, let's recharge, all right? Let's go back in there and see Cedric. Let's, we'll sleep it off for like a whole day. We can Airbnb, come on. Come on, come on, the Berkshires in June. Best roads in the region, my home turf. And you know, my mom's expecting me, she's expecting us. No, I want to end it, Bennett. Why? Because my phone went off. Because you don't stop screaming. Because we're having the same fight. I don't want to have any fight. I want to talk about this tomorrow. No, now. After Cedric's concert. I just drove 3,000 miles to get here. That was your idea. Okay, this was our idea. No, the musical motorcycle journey across America was not my idea, it was yours. And that's all it was, an idea. An idea to do something together. That you came up with on your own. But I supported you because you seemed really excited about He's it. He's your brother. I, I put together this whole trip for you. Put what together? You, you had this big idea and no plan. Hey, hey, let's do this thing together that will require a lot of time and money and planning and coordination. I haven't thought about any of that, but here's a motorcycle with a bow on it. You saying leader of the pack. Yeah, well, all my friends started cheering, and it was a nice gesture, and it was my birthday. Of course I was excited. <laughs> but it was all for you. This, this trip was 100% on your turf. I always meet you on your turf. I yield to your pleasure and disposal. I thought that you would like it. I did. It was the best birthday gift I ever got. It was a not, and that's okay. No, not the bike. The trip. The, 
the idea of it anyway, what it could have been. Could have been this trip was great. You have no idea what I did for you. No, I don't. All I did was try to make you comfortable. <laughs> That's why we took seven weeks, easier routes. I didn't say anything when you wanted to bring all that extra shit. What extra shit? I packed my bike with two or double of every piece of gear that we would need, my gear and your gear. You brought a bunch of perishables that weighed us down. Are you talking about food and water? It's not a... It's not a survival mission, Jar. We can find those things anywhere. But you look at the bigger picture. We took water out of California and increased our fuel costs. And you didn't say anything. No, I didn't say anything. I did something. Uh-uh-uh. You couldn't do the one thing that I oh asked for. Oh, my God. My phone is a potentially life-saving piece of technology. And yet the human race has managed to survive for millennia before its invention. You develop apps for a living. And I needed a break from code and scripts and programming, and so I asked you to do something for me. No screens. And you couldn't do it. Just... It's a GPS. It's an emergency signal. It's a light. It's a weather service. We have a map and lights and flares and the ability to tell whether or not it is raining. Don't you? Those things fail, all right? Roads close, bulbs burn out. You were making calls. Because I missed gigs. We had to check in. I'm sorry. And you, you were snapping photos. To what? Send to the Federal Bureau of Instagram in case we went missing? You know what, Jar? Sometimes it's nice to have photos. I, I want to be able to remember it. Oh, remember it? Yeah. You were never there in the first place. You, you, you were so busy taking little shitty pictures of the meteor shower, you never actually saw the meteor shower. You are the one who wanted to stop for that. I wanted to share it with you. And you missed it. A, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I didn't do this to collect a bunch of photos to prove that we did it. I don't want my relationship to be a performance for other people. Oh, of course you do. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what they think. I care what you think. I think about you. You are all that I think about then don't make me take a selfie in front of Alice Tully Hall. You're photogenic. I'd like to show you off. Thank you. <laughs> mm. Mm. Who is Godfrey? What? You weren't calling ahead to venues. You were calling one dude. Godfrey, who is he? You looked at my phone? Hmm. Why, why were you calling him 12 times? 
Why was he calling you in the middle of Cedric's I've concert? I've been with you every waking moment for the past seven weeks. And I've been in the crowd, watching everyone buy you drinks. The songs are for you. Half of them are about you. When we're alone, on the road, they're for everyone else. You would have stayed out there forever. I'm here, now. And you're trying to convince me to go right back out there. You don't want to be here. I want you to come with me. Can't you pretend like you want to be here? Cedric wanted you to see him play. Oh, you wanted me to see him play. Of course I and did. And I agreed because it was important to you, which I, I just, I don't understand. He's my brother. He called you a faggot. Shh. He's a kid. Uh huh? He'll be voting in the next election. You don't, you don't care. What do I do? If I cut off ties with everyone I know that used the word faggot when they were a teenager, I wouldn't know anybody. I said it. I'm sure that you said it. I did not. Oh, come on. A guy like you, of course you did. Fuck does that mean? It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Not every kid talks that way. Maybe not to you. And the people that do still talk that way do it because they really fucking mean it. Cedric really fucking meant it, and you don't, you don't seem to care. Of course I care. I've been hearing that shit since I was 11. Ugh. You know, put it back on the rack. Put what back on the rack? Your activist outfit. It doesn't fit. It's not an outfit. You weren't talking about this stuff five years ago. I had a wife five years ago. I know. And you... You still hold that against me. You waited until it was safe. It was not easy. You know that. It's never easy. I'm saying it was different for you. Yeah, I wasn't 16. I had a father-in-law. I had joint assets. The timing was fucking awful. Emily was still recovering. We... We'd been through hell. No, no, don't you tell me that it was easy. Don't say I don't want this, and don't fucking say I don't leave my comfort zone for you. I left my life behind. You what? You learned to ride a Yamaha. Fine. You win. I'm not, I'm not trying to win. Sit down. I'm trying to make things better. You're trying to make them look better and ignore the problem. Why does this have to be a problem? I'm just trying to show you the things that are good because you, you, you like forget that they exist. And I get caught up in it. I always get caught That's up in it. That's the point. Well, <laughs> it worked. What is this? There's this piece in the concert that we're missing right now. Fantasy for a Hymn by this guy, Thomas Canning. He composed music to be performed just once, in a specific place, at a specific time. Tonight? No, in 1944. But they're playing it tonight? Yeah, he'd be pissed. He wrote music for a certain orchestra to reverberate off the architecture of a specific building, and this verse is from another piece of his, an affirmation ceremony. I'm no longer my own but yours. 
put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will, put me to doing, put me to suffering, let, let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you, let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. That's how I plan to end the trip. A proposal. After the concert at the fountain. Then do it. No. Why not? I don't want to. Why? Because I never wanted to, Bennett. That is not true. I thought I was supposed to. Why? Because that's what you do. You, you save us from the brink, and things are okay for a while, and then they're not And again. then they are! That's the problem. You're the master of the grand gesture, and it works. And I wish it didn't. But it does. For a while. That's because your finger is always hovering over the eject button. Why does everything have to be a survival mission? It doesn't. I don't want to live my life in crisis. We don't have to. Yes, we do. That's how we work. That's, that's how we met. That's what we do for and, each other. I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't come along. But what are we doing now? I need someone who's going to be there all the time. And you just aren't. I'm there. I'm here. Jar. Jar, I'm here, okay? Look, we are gonna fight. It's gonna happen. And the fact that we reconcile is not a bad thing. It means we work. You are all that I think about. You're all I think about. Godfrey. Yeah, I know, we left early. Listen, um, oh my can God. you do it right now? Yeah, 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 right now. Okay, thank you. What? Turn around. Rotate, swivel, 180. The giant media wall in the atrium lights up with a photograph of Jarvis and Bennett smiling in their motorcycle helmets. Slide after slide of the pair on their trip across America. The final slide comes up, the starry sky with a meteor shooting across it. Over the photo, the words, Jarvis, will you marry me? Will you? You're all I got, Jar, and you're all I think about, and I'm willing to do anything to make this work, okay? And I'm just supposed to melt? You're supposed to say yes.
We need each other. We needed each other. You saved me. You saved me too. Jarvis leaves. Bennett watches him go. A new slide behind him. He said yes. So we fell out of tune And then a darkness came And you got to know it Oh, you're like a honeybee On the windy sea You'd give up the ghost For one sting So what if I know That your heart is so Black and blue Haven't I been getting through to you But you keep your broken Records in the background To keep it so distracted So what if I know that your heart is so black and blue? Let's go, in a minute. Lou, it's 7.57. The show starts at 8 and it's all the way in the back. Just wrap it up and stick it in your bag. It's just across the street. And it starts in three minutes. It won't start till 8.06 starts at 8. They don't actually start until 8.06. All the shows will be fine. It'll take me that long with these shoes on. Just another minute. I really don't feel good, Charlie. I feel sick. Maybe it's the sandwich. I'm serious. So am I. I hate being late. I don't want to be one of those people. I thought I was just hungry, but now I feel nauseous. We can grab some Pepto at intermission. I don't think I can make it to intermission. You go ahead. I canceled my plans when you said you got King and I tickets because you said you wanted to see it together. I already saw it. And you wanted to watch me watch it. Well, how about tomorrow night? Maybe they'll let us exchange the tickets. It just won the Tony. It's not going to be easy to get tickets. We're right here. Come on. If I feel better, I'll come at intermission. We had a plan. You've only seen that terrible production in Flint. This is so, so much better than that. There are actual kids in this one. <laughs> Please. Go. We had a plan. Charlie sits. She pulls out her phone, turns away from Louise, and starts scrolling. Louise watches her for a moment, composes herself, 
then pulls a bottle out of her bag and places it on the table with a flourish. I'm pregnant. I wanted to tell you after the show, but... Charlie? You wanted me to go? I'm going. Charlie! We're having a baby! We said we weren't having a baby, Louise. No, we didn't. And now you've decided I made a mistake, and I'm fixing it. I wanted to surprise you after the show tonight. I wanted to show you my pooch. It's super tiny, and it might just look like I'm bloated or I ate a lot of nachos, but it's actually a baby. I brought sparkling cider. long. How far along are you? Twelve weeks. You have to wait a couple weeks to make sure it works, and then I wanted to see if everything was okay, and I knew we had tickets to the show tonight. You're supposed to wait three months to tell people on Facebook, not three months to tell your girlfriend. I'm telling you now. Exactly. We've talked about this for months, Char. It's what you wanted. You said you'd already seen it. We would dress her in stripes all the time, and we would sing to her before she went to bed. This is a good thing. You should have talked to me before you did this. You've talked about wanting a baby since I've known you, Charlie. And then you ran out on me in the doctor's office. I didn't run out on you. I ran out of the office. I was scared, and you've been holding that against me for six months now. No, I haven't. I barely ever see you anymore, and any time I do, no matter what I ask you, you just answer yes or no, if you answer at all. That's not true. And no matter how early I get up, you leave the apartment before I'm out of the shower. I've been busy. I've been getting up so early. You've been avoiding me, and I miss you. I've been busy. Why won't you let me fix it? Having a baby doesn't fix it, Lou. Having a baby without me does not fix it. I am not having a baby without you. This is the first time hearing about it. You leave before I'm out of the shower. The pooch isn't new. You didn't think this through. You're supposed to be happy, and I did. You can't just walk into the doctor's office and get a baby. You have to make an appointment. I made a plan. You lied to me. That was part of the plan. <laughs> I don't need you to have a baby for me. Well, I am. I don't want you to have a baby for me. You shouldn't have kept this from me. How did you not know? I'm terrible at keeping secrets. You've just been super bad at noticing. Why would I ever think that my girlfriend was pregnant? I've been sick every morning for a month. Uh, I bawled my eyes out at the Avengers Age of Ultron. You cry at everything. Our freezer is filled with hot dogs. I just thought you liked hot dogs. I don't think I do. And I didn't touch those mint juleps at Katie's Kentucky Derby party. 
I am a walking cliche. I wanted to see the king and I with you tonight because I know you can't go to the theater without wanting to talk about it afterwards. And I'd be the only one there, so you'd have to talk to me. And when we got home, you'd want to sit on the couch and read what Brantley had to say. And I'd sit down next to you and complain that my belly hurt and ask you to rub it for me. And I think you would, even if it was just to get me to shut up. And you would notice that it felt a little hard and you would ask me if I'd been doing sit-ups and I would laugh because I never... And then I would tell you I went to see Dr. Fine. And you would realize. And you would smile again. I don't want a baby, Louise. There is a baby right now inside of me that you told me you wanted. And now you don't want to have a baby with me anymore? It's not that I don't want to have a baby with you. It's that I don't want to have a baby. I was relieved when you ran out of that office. My entire adult life, whenever I've thought about having a baby, I've thought about being pregnant. That's what I wanted. And thinking about all the strange cravings you would have and how your body would be changing and to hear you try to explain to me what it felt like to have someone kicking you inside made me so jealous I didn't want to look at you. I kept having nightmares about the day you started to show that I would start to hate you. And I don't want to hate you. And I'm so afraid I'll start to hate the baby, too. You could never hate our baby. I don't know that. I can't promise that. I hate you right now because you can just announce that you're pregnant. Because you have that option. You don't hate me. I do. A little. And I feel like a fucking monster for feeling that way, but in a million years, I never would have guessed you would go back. Well, I did. Yeah. I can't do this, Lou. What? I can't do this. What does that mean? I don't know, but I can't do it. You got me pregnant. It's already done. I did not do this to you. I have spent the last six months feeling like I don't know who I am anymore and feeling like I can't talk to you about it because you don't understand. I want to understand, but I can't if you don't talk to me. It's just so final. There is this 
experience that I have taken for granted my entire life that I would have. There was never any question that it would happen, like the most basic human experience. But I will never get to now. And I only get one life, Lou, so it's like I never get to do it, like, ever. And I didn't choose that. But it doesn't matter because it's just so fucking permanent. And life never really felt like that before, and now that's all it feels like. I have been so jealous of you. Because it's not something you want. Charlie. just want everything to go back to the way it was when I didn't have a baby because I didn't have one not because I couldn't have one we can't have a baby Louise but we can it's gonna hurt too much it won't hurt too much it will hurt a lot but Becoming a mom is supposed to hurt. I'm going to have to push a baby out of me, and it's going to hurt so much. But that was okay, because it was going to be our baby. But now, Charlie, once this baby gets to know me, it's going to know that it's fucked. Because I have no idea what to do with a baby. I never thought I'd have one, and now I am, and I hope it gets to know you too, because otherwise, a baby is a whole other life, Charlie. And I am so scared. I don't think I can do it without you. Louise clings to Charlie. Charlie does not move. Louise loosens her grip. 8.06. It's okay. I've already seen it. Charlie places her head on Louise's belly and sings. Getting to know Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Getting, getting to, to know, know you, putting it my way but nicely. You are precisely my cup of tea. I once had a lovely girl she ran off to see the world and she left me in a hurry but i knew she had a longer way to go and i once had a cigar box and in it was a message that said once you found the limit boy once you found the limit it don't exist no more Thank you.
A rail station philosopher left it here along his way, and I'll leave it along mine. In many years I'll come across that girl who saw the world and I'll say, how was your adventure all these years apart and you're still deep in What are you doing here? Happy anniversary. What are you doing here, Mark? It was a surprise. Happy anniversary. Katie? When did you get here? Last night. What have you been doing? Walking, calling you. Well, you didn't tell me you were coming. It was a surprise. It's good to see you. You look good. You too. I tried to meet you after your show. It closed. I know. The nice man at the information booth told me the Met is dark in June. I think that's what he said, dark? Yes. And that's why you weren't there. Designers don't go to the show every night, not once the show is open but the show is closed. I'm just saying that's not the way it works. But the show is closed. Yes. And that's why you told me you couldn't come home for our anniversary. You used to go to the shows. Those were little shows, Phoenix shows. New York is different. What is this? What? Why are you being like this? I'm not being like anything. I came all the way up As here. As a surprise. For our anniversary. We don't have an anniversary. We're taking a break. We are not taking a break. You're taking a sabbatical. That is not a break. You go on sabbatical from someplace, and after a predetermined amount of time, you come back to it. When I spent a semester in Greece, I was on sabbatical from a university. I wasn't on a break from it. Yeah, but you didn't make an agreement with it that you could fuck other universities while you were there. I'm just saying it's a break. I don't know why you're so angry. How do you not know why I'm angry at you? It was my idea for you to come up here. For a year. For a sabbatical for a year. To give things a try in New York. That was my idea. It hasn't been a year. It has almost been a year. It was a year ago today that I told you you should come up here. And in a few weeks, it'll be a year since you left and it's our anniversary and I wanted to spend it with you, and you need to tell me why that's so wrong. You shouldn't have come. 
We didn't say we weren't going to see each other. We didn't say we weren't going to talk. That's just been the last three months. You shouldn't have come. Well, I did. Can we go someplace? Like where? Someplace else. Your place? I've got a meeting in an hour. It's late for a meeting. Should I just leave? Where were you last night? Kate? I had my phone off. I didn't get your messages until this morning. I went to your apartment. I buzzed and buzzed. There was no answer. Are you sure you had the right place? Let's just not, Mark. It was our anniversary. I stayed with a friend. Guy friend? Mark, we said we wouldn't ask and we said we wouldn't tell and I am not going to. We said we could see other people. We also said we'd be together after a year. It hasn't been a year. Either here or back in Phoenix, but a year. It hasn't been a year. You know, they asked me to join the academic council as the non-tenured representative, and that's a big deal. And I told them no, because I didn't know if we would be there or if we would be in New York. I have been keeping up our deal. So have I. It hasn't been a year. And Point of fact, we never said we could see other people. We said if something happens, it happens. That isn't seeing someone. I misspoke. Did you? You haven't slept with anyone? We said we wouldn't ask. <laughs> no. Well, you could have. But I didn't. But you could have. But I didn't. But you should have. That was the whole point of agreeing. That wasn't for me, that wasn't for me. It was for you, so you wouldn't get all crazy while I was away. I didn't care, that was for you. No, last night was for you. Jesus Christ, you shouldn't have asked. You shouldn't have told. I didn't. Mark pulls a ring box out of his pocket and slams it on the table. Happy anniversary. Mark, what are you doing? Open it. Mark. There is nothing in it. I took it out last night. I don't know that I want you to have it anymore. You shouldn't have come. You think? Caitlin grabs her bag and storms away from the table. Then she stops, turns around, and sits back down. I am living with him. Staying with him. His name is Aaron. I am living at his apartment with him. That's why I wasn't at my apartment last night. I don't live there anymore. but I told him it could be only till the end of July because I might be moving then. So I am keeping to our deal, too. Why? Because it's almost been a year and I was lonely. Then come home to me. Or fucking call. 
I've barely heard from you in three months. You make me feel more lonely. That's not something you say to someone. We were supposed to be something different by now. Both of us. Well, I'm sorry if I let you down. That is not what I'm saying. I think it is. I think that's what you've been saying every time we've talked since Christmas. Every time I tell you anything that is important to me. Anytime I tell you anything that is my life, you just treat it like it's not New York. Well, you know what? That's my life. Up until 10 months ago, that was our life. And now it's just some boring fucking embarrassment to you. You wanted to give your dream of a career in New York one last shot. And I said, fine. I said, more than fine. I said, please, take a year. Have your adventure. Go be Odysseus, and I'll be your Penelope, and I will sit here and wait here for you, wait eagerly for you to return. And if things go well for you on your travels, fuck. I'll get on a boat and sail off with you there. I gave you what you wanted. But Odysseus has Scylla and Charybdis, and you have Aaron and a show at the Met. Always the classics professor. Instructor. Classics instructor because I gave up my shot at a faculty position in Lewiston so you could keep designing shows in church basements in Phoenix. So don't tell me I haven't been supportive of your career. You said give it a try. Go to New York and give it a try. There was not one part of you that didn't imagine that I wouldn't end up coming home. Huh. Penelope never got on the fucking boat and you know it. And yet here I am sitting in New York City and without a faculty position. You wanted to move us to some shitty little town. Well, that's where all the shitty little liberal arts schools are, Kate. So I don't know what you want from me. <sighs> Can we go somewhere? No. I am just saying. Why some little school in Maine? Why is that what you want for us? So you would have come if the school was in New York. Or New Haven. Well, no one's asking me to teach in New Haven, Caitlin, so... And it's a shame, is what I'm saying. It's where you used to be. As an undergrad. It's what you said you wanted. It's what you talked about. And you are too young to give up on that. And I'm too old to not have a faculty position. So like I said, I'm sorry if I let you down. That is not what I am saying. You don't see me complaining about how little you've done here in your ten months. Sorry, ten and a half. I worked at Lincoln Center. As an assistant. At Lincoln Center. As an assistant. When did you become such an asshole? About the time you moved in with someone else. I came here with a ring, Kate, so don't. You, you know what? Good luck with your new life. I am sure it's going to be spectacular. I wasn't an assistant. I don't care. I wasn't an assistant. Sit down. Sit. I wasn't an assistant, I was a production assistant. It is not the same thing. I thought I got a job as an assistant costume designer at the Metropolitan Opera. After being in this city seven months and getting nothing worthwhile, after sitting across the Christmas table from my mom, telling about all the irons I had in the fire and how something was gonna happen any day now, and no, it wasn't a mistake me coming to live here, even though she didn't ask. And even though she was going to be proud of me no matter what. 
But it wasn't a new staging. The show has been in repertory for years. I was helping get costumes out of storage. And I felt like an asshole because I told everyone I got this job at the Met. And so I didn't tell anyone what it actually was because it was humiliating. Why didn't you tell me? Because it was humiliating. You don't have to be embarrassed in front of me. It's still the Met. And it's gonna lead to nothing. There was another PA on the Project 25, just out of her MFA from NYU. They asked her on to the next show. They told me, thank you very much. It's okay. It actually really isn't. Kate. It actually really isn't. Everything I've done, I tell people I'm doing a Sam Shepard play. It's just a bunch of kids just out of college doing fucking Fool for Love in a black box in the village. <laughs> I could be their fucking mother, Mark. If you had them when you were 12. One of their dads came to the show. He could have been one of our friends, Mark. He was like 40-something. And I'm on the phone lying to my mom about what I'm doing. It's okay. I am waiting tables. At Cafe Fiorello, I have a shift at nine. That's where I have to be. What happened to all the money we saved? New York is expensive. And the Sam Shepard kids, they're not paying you? <sighs> this is not what we agreed. It's what you do when you're building a career. You said you were coming here to be a professional. No shitty little job. It isn't what I expected. You're 36. That's not cute anymore. Do you think I feel adorable? I feel old and stupid. And that's why you shouldn't have come. Caitlin picks up her iPhone. She unlocks the screen and passes it over to Mark. He reads. Is this yours? Scroll down. Amateurish and unfocused. I was so proud of my work on that, I thought it was good. It's only one review. It's the only review I've gotten since I've been here. I told you I had a show at the Met because I was going to come home to surprise you for our anniversary. Because I thought I had finally done something to come home and tell you about and not feel like I was on some bullshit PR mission to justify my life. And then that came out and then you showed up. Am I any good at this, like, at all? Of course you no, are. No, I mean good. I mean professional good. I mean like I can do this good. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. They do. 
Why did you let me do this if you didn't know? Because I wanted you to be happy. Baby, I don't care about this. I don't. Look at what you've done. You worked at the Metropolitan fucking Opera. You got a review for a show in New York City. You did that. When you left 10 months ago, you said it didn't matter what happened. You wanted to give it a shot. It didn't matter if you succeeded or failed. You would have given it a shot. And look at what you've done. I'm proud of you, Katie. I found my limit, Mark. And it's not where I thought it would be. That's why Aaron doesn't matter. God, he doesn't matter. He is an idiot. But when he saw that review, he said he was going to go find that guy and punch him in the fucking soul. And you know what? That felt good. Is that what you want? For me to threaten to punch guys in the fucking soul? No. <laughs> Just stick to our deal. Give me a chance to come home with just a little fucking dignity. Just a little bit. Because my year's almost up and I'm coming home because I didn't make it. I didn't even come close. And there was no part of me that thought I wouldn't make it here, not if I really tried. And now I'm mourning the death of the person I thought I would be, and it's really awful to do with you looking at me. You know? It hasn't been a year. I shouldn't have come. Mark reaches into his pocket and pulls out the ring. He holds it between them and turns it over in his hand. They both do not look at him. We have been together 12 years, and we have waited all of this time for the universe to tell us it's okay. Waiting for our lives to settle down so... We can start one together. Well, maybe settling down isn't something life does. Maybe it's something people do. I was 10 years old when my dad was my age, you know? This isn't who we talked about being, either one of us. No. But then, life. Most people don't end up being the people they said they'd be when they were 22. We weren't supposed to be most people. No one thinks they're going to turn out to be most people. But most people do. <laughs> I failed at this, Mark. I don't care. Mark lifts the ring and moves to slide it onto Caitlin's finger. 
but before it can get there, she balls her hand into a fist. She punches him in the mouth. She scoops up her things and shambles towards the door, wiping the blood from her hand on her bag as she does, leaving Mark alone and bleeding. say is if if these are the conversations that are going on in the atrium all day long <laughs> it's very intense over here my gosh unbelievable let me uh, introduce all these uh, distinguished people I'm gonna be sort of Phil Donahue for those of you who are too young to know who that is too bad um, on uh, on the far left is the lovely the talented the uh, incredibly handsome mr. Lonnie Price To Lonnie's left, uh, and the author of our first play called Grievous Circle, Jersey Gwizdowski. Uh, in the middle, the author S of Out of Tune, Jenny Curlin. And to her left, the author of Sabbatical, Mr. Kit Lavoy. And to Kit's left, Mr. Matt Cowart. Matt and Kit uh, co-directed, I guess, all the pieces tonight, so we are very grateful to them. So, Lonnie, let me start with you. We're, this Lincoln Center Originals, uh, what, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> oh, I, I, would ho I, I hoped it was a little clear. Um, uh, uh, well, uh, the, the idea, uh, uh, Matt is my uh, co-producer, and the whole idea was uh, to uh, present uh, original content, as you spoke about in the beginning, uh, based and reflecting the campus of uh, Lincoln Center, and uh, I had known um, the Cry Havoc Company and been a big fan of theirs. Uh, they have a workshop every Monday night that I've attended, and uh, they have all these extraordinary playwrights led by Kit, and they do just very interesting, unusual, evocative work in short form. And uh, when Matt and I had the idea about doing an evening of plays, uh, the first and only idea we had, actually, was to go to Kit's company, Cry Havoc, because they they write specific plays for specific ideas. They have a series of plays based on Bob Dylan songs. Uh, they're they're uh, really unique in the city. And um, uh, in fact, whenever I need any dramaturgical help, they're the first places I turn to, first place I turn to. They've read, uh, their company has read everything I've ever tried just to hear it out loud. And uh, they're just an amazing resource in the city. And uh, I'm very, um, so happy that they came here tonight and did these three plays for us. So Matt, when you conceive an evening like this in an unusual space, an unusually shaped space, 
What kind of challenges does that present? Yeah, well, the first was just how do we get these plays in here? Uh, and we obviously, for people who have been to the atrium before, it's always set up with a series of tables. And so we wanted to really make sure to maintain that as a part of the evening, which is why uh, we had that gigantic ensemble of people that were scattered around the plays to really give it the feel that this space has day in and day out. Uh, and there were lots of other challenges too. You know, how are we going to hear this? How are we going to see this? Um, the, the nature of doing pieces in here is it's day of. You get it in at one o'clock, and that night you have a show. Uh, so while we were crafting the plays, we were keeping those things in mind about what would be possible to do in the room. Um, Kit, let's. I'm going to go backwards in, in reverse about the the pieces tonight. Tell us a little bit about the origin of this piece. I assume you've done um, sort of assignment writing before. This was not the first time. Oh yeah, that, that's a, a big part of what we do at Cry Havoc is, it, it, more than anything else, to give our, our writers an opportunity to stay sharp by giving them a challenge. And um, just so people know the particular challenge of um, this play, we actually had 12 playwrights uh, in our group who, after they got the challenge, wrote sort of a two-page pitch for what they, they thought the play would be. Then we sort of winnowed them down to the ones we thought would fit together thematically as the best pieces for the evening. Um, but the assignment was that all of the plays had to take place here in this atrium. Um, all of the plays had to incorporate in some important way an event that's actually happening on the Lincoln Center campus in the few weeks surrounding this. And it was people randomly picked out of a hat what that was. It had to incorporate in some way some randomly, again, assigned element of um, this specific space. Um, also, this was actually a fairly practical concern, but we said the characters all had to be in their 30s and early 40s, because that's the age of most of our actors, although I think as it turned out, it impacted the plays pretty significantly in terms of what they ended up being about. Um, and also, each of, the song, each of the plays was inspired in one way or another uh, by a song by the Silver State. And as a matter of fact, uh, the song that you heard just before each play was the song that inspired it. And after we're done talking, they're actually going to play all three of the songs uh, so you can hear uh, what the whole what they were. Uh, but tell us a little bit about sabbatical. Yes. Um, uh, in terms of sabbatical, my assignments were I had um, that uh, the information booth and I also had uh, the fact that nothing is playing at the Met. We thought if we were gonna do something at Lincoln Center, we had to have the Met in the mix someplace, but they're closed so ABT can have uh, their shows this month. And, um, and I ended up drawing that nothing is playing at the Met, and I also um, drew uh, Smile Big Child by uh, the Silver State. And um, it is interesting, sort of, what I tend to like to do when I'm writing whether it's an assignment or not, is really give myself a puzzle to solve, is really try to come up with these are all of the cool things I would like to be in this play, and then you try to solve the puzzle of what is the play that has all of these things in it. Um, so the things that came from the song, actually I listened to it today and I, I felt basically like I ripped off your guy's song. Um, uh, but there, uh, but uh, it has in it, it talks about um, this girl who left because she's gone on an adventure. It talks about someone who wants their time to shine. It talks about someone uh, who uh, has all of the famous books that no one reads, which is where the inspiration for making him a classics professor at a school where the uh, students weren't quite up to the level he would want. Um, and uh, 
and so all of those elements kind of came in. And then also the idea of things not being at the Met. I was like, well, what does she want to shine at? And uh, decided, well, the Met. And thought a performer might be something that was a bit, um, you know, done a lot. So we wanted to try make her, making her into a designer. Um, and, uh, and it's actually interesting because the information booth only makes a very brief appearance in terms of the mention uh, of it that he says he learned that the Met was closed this month from the information booth, but it actually, I think, had a really profound effect on the play, because there used to, in the early drafts of the play, used to be an exchange where uh, Mark talked about the fact that, um, you know, the guy at the inter information booth told me, and you know, it's just a place you can go and ask someone a question, they'll just give you an answer, and why can't you do that? And so, the whole thing about the negotiation over the information over the course of the play and her evasion really actually came from the information booth. Remarkably, our information booth also answers relationship questions. So <laughs> it's, a, it's just a service here at Lincoln Center that we, that we do. Uh, Jenny, talk about uh, where did the idea, you know, a play to uh, not only articulate women, but uh, women rather emotionally in touch with uh, themselves and with each other. Yeah, and I think um, I had uh, the witchcraft sandwich shop as my element of the space. Um, I had the king and I as the uh, event that was happening on campus, and I had cross country uh, by the Silver State. And um, one of the tasks was writing for uh, people in their 30s and 40s and writing for, not for specific members of our company, but we have a lot of terrific female actors, and so I knew I wanted uh, to write a play with two females, and uh, I wanted there, because it's a short play, and short plays in particular should have big stakes, um, every play, but, uh, um, and uh, so what, what is happening in people's 30s and early 40s, big stakes, women, and uh, pregnancy was it uh, for me, and, um, it actually was interesting because with the witchcraft sandwich shop, uh, for me it was really Louise's um, final, final desperation moment to save the plan to tell Charlie that she was pregnant. Um, she, they were going to see the king and I and she had planned to, to tell her afterwards and she was feeling nauseous and felt like she couldn't do it and it was her her last ditch effort to be like, maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe I can get a sandwich and I'll feel better and I can save this evening. Um, and then uh, in thinking about it, I, I, I didn't know the king and I before I started writing this. Um, Where were you living exactly? No, no, no. <laughs> but I, I, I listened to the music and I went to see the show. And uh, something that really inspired me was uh, getting to know you. And I really wanted, uh, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted that end moment to happen. And really the whole process was kind of driving towards that end moment for me. How um, long did it take you to write? How long did it take me to write it? We wrote it in what, like three weeks? And is the, the um, uh, script that we saw tonight, the version we saw tonight, how close is that to the first script? Not very. <laughs> the ideas are all the same, but actually um, with the song Cross Country, um, I originally had uh, Louise wanting to uh, move across country as soon as she uh, got herself pregnant because she realized New York was, was really hard to have a baby in. 
Um, and then from there, it actually changed to Charlie's want to move across country. Um, and then I thought I had too many ideas and I really wanted to focus on the main event in the play. And so I threw out that idea. Um, but yeah, so a lot, a lot happened in, in three weeks. All right, Jersey, tell us about the origins of your species. <laughs> I so got see how I did that, a little literary <laughs> thing? Yeah. Um, I got very lucky with my um, drawn out of a hat elements of the atrium. Uh, I got the big uh, media wall behind us, um, the, uh, the Tisch media wall, which is what a get. I was very happy when that came out of the hat. Um, that was my element of the atrium. My event on the Lincoln Center campus is the uh, Juilliard Pre-College Symphony. And uh, my song by these guys behind us uh, was We Are Here. And the way that they came together, my first, the first thing I did was, was look at the, uh, the pre-college symphony. And of the um, inspirational Lincoln Center events um, for these plays, it's the one that uh, was the furthest away time-wise from tonight. Uh, it was a one-time show, happened in late May. And so I thought to honor the, uh, the assignment, give myself a little bit of extra difficulty. I wanted to add as many things that were specific to this place and this time as possible. So, coming from the song by the Silver State, it opens, or early in the song, there's a line about a meteor shower, and it's about a road trip. And so I put two and two together, and I looked up the meteor shower, and which meteor shower would be visible in the Western United States in late May that these guys could have seen on their way to the atrium. And it turned out it was the, uh, the Lyrid meteor shower, um, so named because it happens in the constellation Lyra, which is uh, Orpheus's lyre, right? And Orpheus is this guy who, <laughs> right? He like was a poet and he had an instrument, right? So Orpheus was this guy who had a wife and they went through hell and he was sort of a master of the grand gesture and I started putting together this, this character, Bennett, it sort of became based on Orpheus, which I don't think I ever said during the thing. Um, and that grew into, uh, in the, you know, the myth of Orpheus, after he went down to hell and back, um, he, uh, he never had a long-term relationship again in his life, but his romantic relationships were with men after that. So then that got me into thinking, all right, what's the difference between, you know, in 2015, a guy who just came out of the closet versus a guy of the same age who came out 10 years earlier um, and what that dynamic could be and how that could be a rift in their relationship. And it all came together from there. I also had too many ideas. Yeah. Um, see, that one didn't make it in, but it inspired it in the same way. And I will say, Jenny, the first draft of, uh, it's not the same, but the first draft of your play had the fact that the king and I won the Tony like several yeah. weeks ago. That never changed. So let me ask you guys a question, because um, Jersey, you, you touched on something. Did you um, see each other's play or read each other's plays while this was in development, and, and were you influenced by what other people were writing? Uh, yeah, I, it was very interesting to do them side by side. Um, uh, you know, we have a weekly workshop group, and candidly, because we had three weeks to put these specific plays together, we had an extra workshop every week. So we would hear each other's plays read, be able to comment on them. But I think there were real ways in which we sort of started recognizing themes that were emerging 
from the different plays, common themes, and also candidly knowing, especially Matt and I, knowing that it was going to have to be an evening together, there were some things we were saying, you know what, these things are too similar about the plays. Can one of you actually steer yeah. us um, in, in another direction? Um, and, um, and so there was a little negotiation sometimes between the playwright about, you know what, I'll give up that idea, but I want this other idea for my play. And, um, you know, so, so we did that. But I think that there were a lot of things, honestly, that, I mean, I know whenever I'm working on a play that another playwright wrote, the ideas in that play just begin working through you, and you think about them all the time. And I just think that there are a lot of things that I was thinking about because I was thinking about Jenny's play and because I was thinking about Jersey's play that kind of found their way into, um, into the play that I was writing. So um, Jenny was very brave. She confessed that she had never seen The King and I. Uh, Jersey, what's the last thing you saw at Lincoln Center? Oh, I think the last thing I saw at Lincoln Center was one of the Lincoln Center originals. Ah, nicely done. <laughs> nicely done. I actually had to leave early, but then I went online and watched the live stream that was... Uh, the man is a walking promotional machine. <laughs> Very nice. We will That's double your fee for tonight. Uh, Lonnie? Yeah. Um, I, I know that we don't have a lot of time, uh, aside from just being so grateful for the evening. Um, Matt and I just really just want to make sure we thank um, the people here in the last... We've done five projects in the last four weeks and uh, the support that we've gotten from, um, from Godfrey and from Jordana and Tom. Uh, we are so overwhelmed by, we came in here with a lot of crazy ideas and all they said was, yeah, let's do that. And, and, uh, and so Jillian. Excuse me? And Jillian. And our great producer, Jillian Campbell. So for those guys, if they're still here, we, from our hearts, thank you so much. There, th th this just doesn't happen that a, a stage comes and lights come, and, and it's only because of these people's great dedication to trying to make something happen in this space. So please help us give them a hand. We're so grateful. Uh, and we, and we, should, uh, we should take a moment to acknowledge our actors tonight who didn't really get a formal bow. They're on the front. Please, please. Alan Washington, Eric Miller, Alicia Gorenson, Kaylin Wilcox, Carrie Flanagan, Will Clark. Okay, so here's the deal. This kind of stuff happens at Lincoln Center a lot. We have a very big summer planned. Outdoor concerts, Midsummer Night Swing starts in 10 days. Lincoln Center Originals comes back in the fall. Uh, and when you come here to the atrium, these performances are free. Free, always free. So we are thrilled that you all came out tonight on this sweltery evening. Have a great weekend. Very special thanks to Jed Bernstein, Lonnie Price, Jillian Campbell, Godfrey Palaya, the David Rubenstein Atrium, and the Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. Lincoln Center Originals' The Cry Havoc Company was directed by Matt Cowart and Kit Lavoy, and associate directed by Jennifer Kerfman and Jenny Curlin. Grievous Circle by Jersey Gwizdowski featured Eric T. Miller as Bennett and Alan K. Washington as Jarvis. Out of Tune by Jenny Curlin featured Caitlin Wilcox as Charlie and Alicia Gorenson as Louise. Sabbatical by Kit Lavoy featured Will Clark as Mark and Kerry Flanagan as Caitlin. 
The ensemble featured Bobby Allen, Brittany Belinsky, Will Bethman, Julia Bilbao, David Bowen, Michael Calciano, Lindsay Carter, Sean Drohan, Danielle Famble, Anne Flanagan, Lucy Fleming, Madeline Fox, Kristen Grenade, Benton Guinness, Sarah Hassam, Addie Hayes, Philip Kenner, David Michael Kirby, Andrew Manning, Victoria Narayan, Susan Neufer, Erica Pappas, Kimberly Peterson, Valen Peterson, Jake Phillips, Joe Sexton, Harika Alsanani, and Azaria White. Lincoln Center's originals, The Cry Havoc Company, featured the songs You Are Here, Cross Country, and Smile Big Child by The Silver State. Lighting design by Travis McHale, set design by Stephen Royal, costumes by Jennifer Raskoff, fight direction by Rob Kinter, and props by Julia Bilbao. Lincoln Center Originals, The Cry Havoc Company, was production stage managed by Timothy R. Seaman. If you want to support The Cry Havoc Company and help make other projects like this possible, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org support to learn how. So for all of us at The Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.